And now, we travel from Uganda to the north in Africa and to the west, and we officially begin our 10-year celebration of our adoption of the Tomajic People Group. And if you don't know what that is, let me give you a little bit of a background. 12 years ago in 2007, Lake City Community Church, already a missions-minded church, was challenged toward an even deeper commitment by taking on the strategic mission focus of adopting an unreached people group. And in 2009, we made it official and adopted the unreached Tamajic people of Niger, West Africa. You see, because people groups like this in the world who do not have enough Christians within them to reach their own nation, churches like ours adopt them and that means to pour every kind of support and prayer and partnership and missionary involvement uh, to bring the good news of Jesus that we can possibly mobilize. And that's what we've been doing in this part of the world where the Holy Spirit has called us to be active over these last 10 years. The change drive is a big part of this. We do this every year and, and we're concluding that today. Uh, we'll conclude it at the end of the service with a free will offering. Uh, if you don't want to mess with the bottle, you can, you can um, watch for that. Um, we also invite everyone back at 1230, right in the gym, as, as soon as this service is over, we'll go over there for an exciting 10-year celebration ceremony that all ages will love and you don't want to miss. Well, this weekend we celebrate all these things together uh, in the past 10 years as we launch the next 10 years. And to begin, we're pleased to show for the first time a video that we made, a four-minute video about this mission of our church. So enjoy this. Pretty fun background, Amen. All right, and our missionaries of the week this week are our two guest speakers, and it's a privilege to have them with us today, and I believe that you'll be blessed. Uh, I'm going to introduce each of them, and then read scripture, and then they'll come. So first, I'll start with Steve Schmidt. Uh, Steve and Ralph Sowers are our guests today. Steve became serious about missions in college and in, this is, I love this story. In 1988, he and his brother Mike did a short-term trip together with SIM to Niger, where they both sensed a calling to long-term missions in Niger. Steve also met his future bride that summer, a girl named Mickey, who was also a short-term missionary in Niger. They were married in 1990 and arrived in Niger in 1992 and began studying the Tamajic language and worked among the Tamajic people in church planting and evangelism. Then in 2007, Steve became the director of all of SIM Niger, and in Lake City's 10-year partnership with SIM in Niger, we have found Steve to be well-respected among all of the 200-plus missionary families there, missionaries there, and very encouraging to Lake City over those years. And we have tried for years to get Steve here, but life as a country director is challenging, and he's not been able to until now. And Steve, it's an honor to have you here for our 10-year celebration. Also, after Steve talks for a, for a while, uh, Ralph Sowers will come up. A little bit about Ralph. He's been here a number of times before and is a close friend and brother. Ralph and his wife, Meredy, met in Nigeria in 1977. And they have two children, Luke and Sarah. They joined SIM in 1983. And in the 80s and 90s, Ralph and Meredy served the Lord in pioneer evangelism among the nomadic Muslim uh, Tamajic or Tuareg people in Niger with SIM. Flash forward to 2009, 10 years ago, they returned to the United States to care for Ralph's aging parents. Now, in the, those 10 years since, in America, 
Uh, both Ralph and Meredith have been extremely fruitful for Jesus' mission in many roles. And Ralph told me one time a while back that although it hurt to leave the Tomajic people who he loves, God has allowed him to multiply himself a thousandfold by his work here in the, in the States. So God knows what he's doing. We trust him. Ralph's also been a consistent help to Lake City during this entire decade uh, of our adoption of the Tomajic people and a great brother and friend as well. They will come, and you'll want to hear more than time allows from these two men. Uh, let, me, let me set this up by reading from Acts chapter 9 in God's Word, the story when the Christian killer, Saul of Tarsus, was converted by Jesus to become the great Apostle Paul. Starting in verse 10, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. A man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is now a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And then in verse 20, And immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. This is the word of the Lord. And I'm going to ask Steve to come now and begin uh, their section. And let's give Steve a warm welcome to Lake City. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, more than a privilege to be here for this 10-year celebration. As uh, Reg shared, that uh, I met my wife in uh, Niger. Uh, it's not really the purpose of the short-term program, but... Uh, it actually happens more often than you, you would realize. Uh, uh, one thing Reg did not mention was that uh, when my brother Mike and I went in 1988, we actually stayed with Ralph and Meredith Sowers um, that, for 10 weeks. And it was life-changing and uh, changed the course of my life. And uh, it's because of the way the Lord used Ralph and Meredith in both Mike and I's life that uh, we've been involved with the Tomajic these past 26 years. For me, it's amazing that as I think back of how many prayer meetings I have been in with uh, a small number of Tomajic believers and praying that God would break through and that the kingdom of God would break through into the Tomajic nation. And to think that in answer to those prayers, God laid it on the heart of a church in Washington State to adopt the Tamajic, to pray regularly for the Tamajic, to invest in key ministries and to send out valuable laborers over to reach these people. 
And I want to encourage you that these 10 years, we have seen God work, and you've been a part of that. When we first went out in 1988, uh, I remember Ralph saying that we don't know exactly how many Tamajic believers there are, but we believe there's somewhere between 30 and 40 Tamajic believers scattered uh, in different locations in Niger. This past year at the Tamajic Bible Camp, which is just a small representation of the number of believers there are amongst the Tamajic, there were over 200 participants. God is growing his church among these people. And what is exciting to me is to see not only are people coming out of Islam, out of the darkness, and into new life in Christ, but we're seeing second-generation um, believers, children who are grown up in Christian homes, Tamajic homes, that are following the Lord as well and have given their life to Christ. That is exciting. I often say that when, when the gospel is preached, there are always barriers. You had barriers as well before you gave your life to Christ. For some of us, our barriers were low and were relatively few. For other parts of the world, the barriers are high and many. But when the last barrier falls, everybody gives their life to Jesus. Let me tell you a few of the barriers that Tamajic people face. Number one barrier is geography. There are Tamajic people hidden out into the desert. Then unless something changes, not only will they live and die, and never hear the gospel. They'll live their whole life and never meet another believer. And that's not right. We want to see that change. And one of the exciting things is, even though the areas that we can work in because of security situation is, is shrinking, we're seeing the people who have come to faith in the early years when we were planting seeds They've come to faith. They've matured in Christ. Tamajic believers are now the ones that are taking the gospel where we can't go into what we call the red zone, where we cannot place Western missionaries. And if you come back at 1230 for the lunch, I'm going to share a story of uh, one of those believers came to know the Lord um, on our front porch because he wanted to learn to read. And now he's a pastor up in deep into the red zone, and he's planted a church up there. And if you want to hear more of Riley Soon's story, please come back, and I'll, I'll share it with you. That's one of the barriers. Another barrier is the social barrier. As the video said, to be Tamajic is to be Muslim. And to, in a collectivistic society, to break with Islam is to dishonor and to shame your family and to your, your father and your traditions. And I've had Tamajic uh, friends say, if, if it wasn't for fear, many of us would follow Jesus. And I, had a really close, I have a really close friend, Muhammad, and I've shared the gospel with him many times, my brother as well. We love him dearly. He said to me one time, you really do not understand. I cannot follow you in your faith. You have no idea the storm that would come on me and in my culture and in my setting.
And I said, Muhammad, we're talking about your eternity. He says, you don't understand. I cannot. That's a barrier. And I often tell people, if you're going to get involved in people's lives, and in particular the Tamajic, you're going to get your heart broken. But it's worth it. Another barrier is the cultural barrier. The Tamajic peoples view the world quite differently than we do. And we didn't always understand that when we were sharing the gospel. When you hear a testimony of somebody from the West who've come to Christ, they'll say, my, my heart is free, my sins are forgiven, I'm innocent before God. Because we think in terms of guilt and innocence. But in Niger, we think more in terms of fear and power. We think in terms of honor and shame. So it's very common to hear a testimony and a Tomajic believer will say, now that I've given my life to Jesus, I'm no longer afraid. They're much more in tune with this, the invisible world, and they say, I do not fear the spirits, and that's powerful. And uh, we, as we share the gospel, we have to understand those things. And some of the Tamajic believers are helping us to be more sensitive in how we share the gospel. One of the other barriers has been for many, many years is not having the word of God in the Tamajic language. It's the New Testament has been 30 years coming. And praise God, in 2017, we, we dedicated the New Testament. Reg was there. It was a huge celebration, lots of singing and dancing. But I can tell you that that completed New Testament is going deep into the hearts of people. They are memorizing. Uh, Tomajic people are excellent memorizers. They're memorizing this translated Bible, and it's changing lives. And we're so excited that the Old Testament is also being translated. It's so important to reaching these people to have the whole scriptures. And I want to say thank you to Lake City for supporting the translation work as well. So these are some of the barriers. But the barriers are coming down. And the way the barriers come down is people pray. And when we cross the barriers, people come to Christ. And I just want to say from that Lake City is one of our key allies in the battle for the hearts of the Tamajic people. And I want to say from the bottom of my heart, on behalf of uh, SIM Niger, thank you so much for joining into this battle. There will be people around the throne of Jesus Christ from the nation, the Tamajic nation, because of this church and your willingness 12 years ago to say yes when the Lord said, adopt this people. So thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. It's a great joy to be back at Lake City. My wife, Meredith, sends her greetings. Uh, and for those of you who remember Jan and Christine Banky, they send their greetings uh, as well. As Steve was sharing, uh, just reflects on, on the theme from Niger throughout North Africa. The goal of God is not to see churches planted that just become happy, living where they are, keeping the gospel to himself, but God designed that the gospel would flow from people, not only to their near ethnic neighbors, but cross cultural and religious divides. 
where people look at people who used to be their enemies and they'd rather see them dead and their hearts are broken because they don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. That demonstrates that true reconciliation has taken place between God and man when reconciliation takes place between man and man. And so it's important for us to realize, especially when we're talking about the Muslim world, and our Muslim friends are in the middle of Ramadan right now, their fasting month. 1.7 million uh, billion, excuse me, Muslims in the world today. And we hear so much about the terrorism that's going on, and there is a lot of that. But what we don't hear, we don't hear about former jihadi leaders in the Middle East who have come in contact with the gospel of forgiveness, and they are now missionaries in the Middle East, taking the gospel to other people. We don't hear about that. But it's important for us to remember that our primary weapon is the weapon of prayer, as Steve has said. And so, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the, the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And so, today, what I'd like to do, as Steve has reflected on the past 10 years and the marvelous things that God is doing among the Tamajic in the country of Niger, I'd like us to look ahead to what may lie ahead for some of these brothers and sisters by looking at the impact of persecution in that part of the world. This is a shot, a blast from the past. This is when Steve and Mike were out 31 years ago um, with us. And uh, if you come to the dinner afterwards, I encourage you to. You'll see us dressed a little differently than we are now. But also, you're going to hear very incredible stories of what God is doing in answer to your prayers in that part of the world. And as he tells the story of Riley soon, your heart's going to be thrilled and encouraged and challenged to think about how God uses his living word to bring about transformation. 125 years ago when SIM was founded, a woman, a widow in Kitchener, Ontario, heard that there were, Mrs. Gowans, that there were between 60 and 90 million Muslims in the Sudan. And back then, the Sudan was not the country of Sudan as it is today. But it was stretching from Mauritania in West Africa, what is Mauritania today, all the way over to the Sudan. And she prayed every day that God would raise up missionaries to take the gospel to the 60 to 90 million Muslims who did not have contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God raised up her 25-year-old son and her son's best friend, uh, to, and they, they went out, they sailed to England, and she had already sent her daughter to work with Hudson Taylor. And then God raised up a, a young man from uh, New York who went to speak in her church, and after he spoke in Mrs. Gowan's church, he went into her home, and he says, I was not with Mrs. Gowan's but 30 minutes when God laid upon my heart a burden for the Sudan, and a couple weeks later, he boarded a ship and joined Gowan's in Kent. In, uh, in England to sail to Nigeria. Well, today we hear a lot about Al-Qaeda. We hear about ISIS. Steve talked about the red zone. Those are areas where those of us from the West cannot go safely. <clears throat> and the emphasis now of Al-Qaeda and of ISIS has changed from this part of the world to this part of the world. And they are bringing into them splinter jihadi groups under their umbrella because they want to see a lot of destabilization take place. But they're not the only ones who have their eye on that part of the world. There are African Christians who are asking God to raise up, and in this case, 50,000 Nigerian Christians for global engagement. 
to be trained, to be sent out. And they're looking to send 15,000 missionaries in the next 15 years throughout northern Nigeria, which is Muslim, up into Niger, Chad, up into that whole area, and work their way over to the Middle East and up to Jerusalem. And that is their passion. The importance of the Tomajic Bible Camps cannot be underestimated. And thank you so much for your support that allows believers to come together. And some of the believers who come, they are the only believers, not only in their only family, they are the only believers in their community. They don't know what it's like to have fellowship with another Christian, what it's like to pray with another Christian. And so you have been a part of that. Well, in 2007, a brother from uh, Algeria part of the Kabili Berbers, and the Kabili Berbers are cousins to the Tamajic people, and to have someone come who is like them and share the word of God was powerful. This brother taught on the book of Galatians, and when he taught, his main point that he kept going over and over again is, you cannot have one foot in Islam and one foot with Jesus. To be a Christian means you turn your back on everything else and you follow Jesus and you follow him alone. Well, the Tamajic believers and the church leaders had heard that God had done a great work among the Kabili Berbers. In fact, they had heard that there might be as many as 65,000 Kabili Berbers in Algeria in the desert who are following Jesus. And during one of the sessions when this brother was teaching, some of the church leaders interrupted him and say, please tell us, what has God used to grow the church among the Kabili Berbers in Algeria? He paused. He said, I don't think you really want to know. And he went on teaching. And they were shocked. They interrupted him again. Please tell us, what has God used to grow the church there? Again, he paused and said, I really don't think that you want to know. And then finally, exasperated, they says, please tell us, what has God used? And this brother paused and he said, God has used two things to grow the church in Algeria. He has used persecution and he's used martyrdom. Are you ready for God to, go to grow the church among your people in that way? Because that is what it may very well take if it's going to not just survive but to thrive in the soil there. So now I'd like to share with you a story that Jan and I heard firsthand when we traveled to West Africa together in 2017. I'll also ask that you please don't repeat this story on social media. You don't email it. You don't take pictures of the screenshots because of security reasons. There are people that today, their lives could be in danger. But it's important for us to hear what God is using. We heard the story from five people who experienced something being captured by Boko Haram. And we heard how the gospel came to take root among their people and how it's being shared and we sat for hours, tears streaming down our, our faces as we heard their story. In 2003, a missionary landed in their part of the country and began translating the Word of God. And as they were translating the Word of God, they realized that the vast majority of the 12 million people for whom this copy of the Word of God would go to, they were illiterate. So many of you have seen the MP3 players and you have given that that can be used to help take the gospel to different parts among the Tamajic and Niger. Well, they transferred the scriptures to that as well as Bible teaching. And in about 2014, they were translating Bible stories to help young believers and to help non-believers who were seekers understand what does it mean to have a relationship with God. And so one of the translators was going out into the part, into the bush area where these nomadic people live, and he wanted to go over lesson number seven of their series and it was a series talking about forgiveness. When he got to the home of the man who was going to host him and help him understand the language a little bit better, and if this was understandable, 
He got there and the man's house was full of friends. And the translator said, that's okay, I'll come back later. And he says, no, 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 these are all my friends. Stay, they will help you with the translation. And so this translator read through the story about forgiveness. And they helped him with different grammar things and different words. But when they were done, one man stood up. And we'll call this man John. John stood up and when John stood up, he looked at the translator and he said, do you believe what you have just shared with me? Is this really what your book teaches? Because I am a strong Muslim. I have been to Mecca. I have heard preachers of Islam from all over the world preach about religion and our faith. And I have never once heard a story about forgiveness. This is the first time in my life I've heard about forgiveness. And if the story that you said is true, it's the most powerful message I have ever heard in my life. Then he got up and pointed his finger and he says, Do you believe what you have just shared with me? And the translator says, Yes, I do. I believe that when I trusted in Jesus, that my sins were forgiven and my relationship with God was reestablished and that he forgave my sins. And then John said, my friend and I will call him Mark. We want to know more about this. And they began meeting. And as they studied the scriptures, they opened their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. The power of having the word of God. Well, John and Mark didn't keep their faith quiet. Their lives had been so transformed by the miracle working power of the Spirit of God using the Word of God in their lives that they went out and they began sharing freely the gospel of Jesus that has the power to transform. And when they did that, many people started coming to Christ. But as people came to Christ, militant Muslims in their area sent people to go and to burn down their homes and to destroy their personal belongings and to persecute them. But all that did was fuel the church, and the church continued to grow. The persecution grew. And Nigerian Christians were saying, you know, God is working among you people, but why don't you consider moving down where there's more Christians so you won't be persecuted? If you want to, we will help you move. Because if you stay where you are, you will be persecuted. And John and Mark and others said, but if we move to where there are only Christians, with whom will we share the wonderful message of forgiveness of sins? And they said, we choose to stay with our people. It's a long story, but the persecution continued. As people came to Christ, they began to be killed, not just losing their lives, losing their homes and their belongings, but some of them were killed. One night, in the middle of the night, John and the man on the right is his son, we'll call him Luke, and his wife, we'll call her Sarah. They were among 31 adults with a bunch of children who were following Jesus, and they heard the Boko Haram people coming in the middle of the night. They heard the weapons going off, and the people were filled, were filled with terror, and they escaped out into the bush. One man, as he was going, we'll call him Peter, he and his wife were going through, and Peter was not a strong believer. In fact, Peter, when the persecution started, Peter wanted to return to Islam so that he would not suffer. And his wife, who was the strong one, said, No, it is worth following Jesus regardless of the pain. Let us never turn our back on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's running with his wife and his three little children. And a bullet, he hears a sound of the gun go off, and a bullet pierced his wife's back and went out through her side. Her dying words as she lay in his arms were, Whatever you do, do not turn your back on Jesus. He is worth it. We'll be with him soon. He left his wife's body there. 
He called his children to him and says, we have to run. And they took off running. But then he realized that he'd become disoriented. He was lost and he'd been separated from his children. And as he ran around frantically looking for his children, he came into a clearing and was spotted by some of the terrorists who tackled him to the ground. And as soon as they bound him, he heard his daughter screaming and he knew that she was being killed. And at that moment, he realized that the cost to follow Jesus was really great. And Peter was going through an intense time of doubting. Is this really worth it? God, where are you? We're laying our lives down for you. And why are you not showing up for us? Boko Haram took this group of 31 adults. And they took the children, many children, and they took them off to an isolated area. And they kept them for months. They barely gave them food and water. They ridiculed them every day. They threatened them with death every day. They would bring in people who were Christians from other areas who had not recounted their faith, recanted their faith and brought them in and he killed them savagely before them and they said, this is what lies for you as well. But then they also brought in people who had turned back to Islam and they brought them in and they gave these people wonderful food to eat in front of them and say, if only you stop following Jesus, you can have all of this and the suffering will stop. And this small group of believers said, we will never turn our back on Jesus a time of intense persecution kicked in during those months they were with them. And finally, Boko Haram realized these people are not going to recant. So they took Luke's father and Sarah's husband, the leader John, and three other leaders, and they took their clothes off of them. And they bound them, their feet to their hands behind their back, and put a rope around their neck. And they said, look, we don't want to do this to you. You are our kinsmen. We're from the same ethnic group. All you have to do is say no to Jesus, and all of this will stop. We'll feed you. We'll give you good water, and you can live in peace. And John looked up and said, we forgive you for what you're doing, but we will never turn our back on Jesus Christ. The leader became very angry and called for a man that they referred to as the butcher to come. And he was known in that area for the way he dealt with people in a very harsh way. The butcher then carved a big cross in John's side. And John reaffirmed his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. The man became angry and carved another cross into his back very deeply. And then he carved a third cross into his back. And John turned to the group of believers and said, whatever you do, do not turn your back on Jesus. The suffering that we're enduring will last but for a short period of time, and soon we will be home. At that, outraged, the butcher came and savagely killed John like he'd slaughter an animal. And then he killed the other three leaders. The women were beginning to weep, and the children were screaming, and they were crying. They left the bodies there, but they let the women and children and Luke and some of the other men go back to the area where they were sleeping. They were trying to console Sarah. She was inconsolable. And somewhere in the middle of the night, Luke told us and Sarah affirmed that as she was there silently weeping, all of a sudden, Luke heard somebody speaking their language perfectly. But this person was a foreigner. And he turned and he saw a man dressed in white sitting beside his mother, Sarah, and he was saying to her, have heart, John is with me. You're going to be all right. Keep sharing your faith. I will never leave you. 
And Luke said that some of the other men saw that and they drew near and they were amazed that Jesus would come and would be offering, uh, offering comfort to Sarah. And then he disappeared. A few nights later, in the middle of the night, the fear had changed now to comfort. And they couldn't understand why Jesus would come and would bring such comfort to them. Sarah, though her heart was broken, she was now filled with joy. And other believers saw this. And even the children said, Mommy, Daddy, I'm no longer thirsty. I'm no longer hungry. And one night as they were praying in the middle of the night, they heard the Boko Haram camp, which was about 40 yards away. They heard screaming. And they heard voices saying, Snakes are chasing us. Others said, No, they're scorpions. And people were scattered all over the place. Some of them escaped in their vehicles. Others started just dropping dead before them. And three of the terrorists came close to the group of men and fell dead at their feet after convulsing. And they looked down and one of them was the butcher. Jesus then appeared again and brought comfort to them and encouraged them and said, please continue sharing about me and know that what you are enduring will have great reward, but know that I am with you. And he disappeared. <laughs> what do you say to people like that? And I look at things that I might consider as suffering for Jesus, and they are nothing like suffering for Jesus. Do you understand what I mean? And I take for granted when I open the Word of God in the morning that I have a copy of the Word of God. And I take for granted that when I pray to God, I know a little bit about the person with whom I'm having a conversation. When there's so much of the world that doesn't. And so that's our reminders. We come together here. We come together and we realize that we are a blessed people. But because of that, we have a responsibility and a privilege to pray. We have a responsibility and privilege to give. But also, and I've said this here before, and I don't say it lightly for you parents and grandparents to say and to raise your kids with a perspective of if God leads you to a part of the world that doesn't have the gospel yet, it will break our hearts. But we will gladly send you because this is not the end of the ride on the train. Heaven is and heaven is real. And we know that if we never see one another again on this planet, we will be together forever. But not only that, there will be people from around the world, from every nation and tribe and tongue, who will be there as well. And I close with these words from the book of Hebrews. Remember those early days after you first saw the light? Man, those were the hard times. You were kicked around in public. You were the targets of every kind of abuse. Some days it was you, some days it was your friends. If some friends went to prison, you stuck by them. If some enemies broke in and seized your goods, you let them go with a smile, knowing they couldn't touch your real treasure. Nothing they did bothered you. Nothing set you back. So don't throw it all away now. You were so sure of yourselves then, and know this, it's still a sure thing. But you need to stick it out, staying with God's plan so that you'll be there for the promised completion. And then in chapter 11, we read these verses. He says, There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preferring something better. And what did they prefer? They preferred resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, 
those who were sawed in two, those who were murdered in cold blood, stories of vagrants wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. Hmm. The world don't, didn't deserve them. Instead, they made their way as best they could on the cruel edges of the world. But then the writer goes on, and in chapter 12, verse 1 says, So do you see what this means, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on? It means we're better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. And study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. And that exhilarating finish line is with God. And he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. And when you find yourselves flagging in faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through. And that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Hmm. God, I need adrenaline in my soul. I need to be shaken from my complacency. Where after the busyness of a long day, sometimes I can't even engage my neighbors. But Lord Jesus, we pray for the Pauls and Lord, the Lukes and the Sarahs. Scattered around the world, Lord, today. Lord, last year, more Christians died in Nigeria than any other country of the world. And Lord, we look at what's going on with ISIS and Al-Qaeda, and sometimes we just wring our hands. But, oh, Father, we thank you that when we pray, even when we're dead, our prayers will live on, and you're going to keep working. And we may not see all the fruit, but we're one day going to share the fruit with you, Lord Jesus. And it's so worthy, worth it. So, Father, thank you for LC3. May you encourage them as they continue in the fight to see that part of the world and beyond, beyond come under the sound of the gospel and the wonderful forgiveness of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.